announcements on there that you can always look to see what's coming up uh, next year. We've got the SEAC Missions Weekend on January. Uh, after school program, always in need of tutors and mentors, and so I hope that maybe that's something the new year you'll consider. And also just the last one in that, if you're uh, interested and wanting to, and I hope so, to continue to invest and contribute to uh, this church, is that your ear and offerings, if you want it to be credited, okay, uh, for this year's um, uh, offering, that they need to be deposited before uh, December 31st, okay? All right. So what I particularly love about this time of the year is that it's filled with the themes that I just connect to with most. I think because I'm a believer, uh, probably first of all, but also because I tend to be a very optimistic person. Um, it connects with the, these themes. Christmas time is a theme of love and of hope and generosity and compassion. There's a very peaceful atmosphere to Christmas time. And sometimes, especially during this time, I just wish the rest of the world would cooperate. Don't you? Like, it's Christmas time. And then you get this bad news, you know, that you hear on the news. It's Christmas time, but then you still got to go to work, and maybe your boss or coworker that, you know, you don't really jive with that well is still difficult. But what's interesting about the Christmas story was not only that it also happened during a very disruptive period in history, but that the Christmas story itself, actually the birth itself, was also incredibly disruptive. For example, you have the throne of King Herod. He feels threatened. There's an escape to Egypt. There's a local genocide of babies. And we'll get to all this next week. But on this Christmas morning, let's talk about disrupting something on a smaller, more personal scale, an engagement, a wedding. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we're continuing uh, the, the series on Christmas time, and uh, last week we talked about genealogy and how Matthew was so genius that in his genealogy, in pointing out the scandals of each of the particular people, he was sharing, he was preaching the gospel through a genealogy. It's pretty amazing. And so Matthew continues in verse 18. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He could have made a big ruckus about it, but he just had in mind, we're just going to call off this particular, we're going to call off our engagement. You know, I mean, this is how the birth story begins. Think about it. This has to be the worst engagement story in history, right? I mean, when you get engaged, it's all about the conversation of how did you propose and, um, uh, you know, how are the wedding plans going? And I just imagine Joseph and Mary, whenever the engagement stories kind of come up, they're just desperately wanting to, to you know, change the subject. They're desperately trying to find an excuse to, to leave the room when everyone starts talking about their particular engagement stories. And you, you also have to wonder why. Why does God, why would he scandalize the lives of young Joseph and, Mar and Virgin Mary? Because when you read Scripture, by all accounts, it seems that they're they were really good people. That they were really righteous people. The people you would love to have as your, your friends and neighbors. And their lives are all of a sudden upended. They're scandalized. Because, you know, when, the way that we normally think is that if you're blessed, 
things in your life go well. Because when things in your life go well, you assume you're blessed. And so the question, right, that I'm prone to ask when things in my life do not, does not go well, is I automatically think, God, what did I do wrong? Right? God, what lesson, uh, you know, what thing do I need to learn now? Why am I going this particular suffering, you know? Why me? And so what's interesting is that Joseph and Mary, they have done nothing wrong. They have done nothing wrong. And yet they are at the epicenter, that God places them at the epicenter of this scandal, and they are right where God wants them to be. And this is so helpful to me because sometimes trying to understand the will of God for your life, sometimes trying to understand the direction of God for your life, sometimes feels like a maze, walking through a maze. How about you? Trying to that, get to that place sometimes where you're like, God, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying to follow you, trying to do what you want me to do. Sometimes it's really confusing. Like I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be where you are. But God, things don't seem to be moving in the right direction. Things don't seem to be working out the way that I'd hoped that I'd plan. And so when I look at the life of Joseph and Mary, I'm relieved that Jesus has a very unique and powerful way of working out his will in our lives in a way that is contrary to our intuition and to our expectation. So that especially in times when life is not going as planned, is not where I thought to, I, I, would, I want to be. I don't run to that immature question, God, what lesson did you need to teach me now? God, what did I do wrong now? But instead, I go to the question, God, what is your good intention? What is your loving intention for my life? Because that former question is birthed out of fear. The latter question is birthed, is pregnant with hope. So what question birthed from fear is driving you this morning? Today is Christmas Sunday, is Christmas Day. Tomorrow is not Christmas Tomorrow you go back to that fear. What question, what that's birthed from fear is driving you this morning? Could it be that that failure, that that place of anxiety, that that place of unrest, that that place where it's causing you so much angst, could it be that you are there, not because of anything that you've done yourself, but could it be that that failure, that that point of scandal, that that source of shame, like a botched engagement, could it be that that's where Jesus is going to birth something amazing. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, he's talking about Joseph, because Joseph is thinking about this scandals that he's in. He's saying, this couldn't possibly be God's will. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be, and there's the word, afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from from their sins. If you want to know why Jesus came, it's there. It's because he will save his people from their sins. I, I love this because... It's the baby who's born 
under these scandalous circumstances is the one who saves us from the shame of our own scandals. And so now it begins to make sense from chapter 1 and the beginning of the genealogy, which we covered last week, that it just sets up the scandal for the virgin birth. Jesus did it this way. He says all of this had to happen because Christmas time is God's declaration that, I, that God has come for you. It's God's grand statement saying that no matter what scandal you've been in, no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter what failures are in your life, no matter what things that you feel like are so unforgiving that you can't forgive yourself for, that God brings his gift of forgiveness. It's the only thing that you've ever had, truly had, and it's the only thing that you really, really, really need. The scandal, it's a necessary part of the declaration. It communicates that God knows where we are, that we're all loved by Jesus. It's interesting, too. There's this theological um, uh, idea uh, by the Roman Catholics. It's called, about Mary, it's called the Immaculate Conception. Immaculate Conception. And it's not about cleaning your room, although I wish my kids were more immaculate about their conception and their understanding of how clean they should keep their room. But the Immaculate Conception is a theological understanding that Mary was sinless at birth and that Mary continued to be sinless her entire life, that she was not tainted with original sin. The reason why they believe that is this, is because if Jesus was human and divine at the same time and yet holy, then on the Father's part, in a sense, right, God's got that covered. He's, he come, he's divine. He's without sin. But Mary, Mary's with original sin, right? So how can Jesus, you know, if she's coming from Mary, isn't Jesus always going to be tainted with, with original sin? And so that's why they had this conception that, well, Jesus can't be, you know, tainted with original sin, so we've got to, do, to say something about Mary. So that Mary was actually sinless from the beginning as well and remained that way as well. But respectfully, respectfully, because we love our Catholic brothers and sisters. It misses the point of the genealogy, that God can be in our midst, that God can handle our messes, that God is not so far off because he sees how messed up our lives are, how stubborn our will is, that God has come to rescue us from our sin, that he can handle our lives with great patience and great love, and great care to actually be with us. Because we know that in the end, that on the cross, that all of the sin of the world, that all of the weight and all of the consequences of all of our sin was actually placed on him, was actually put on his soul, and it killed him. But it wasn't enough to take his life. He was filled with so much life, he was filled with so much power that even sin and darkness could not overcome him, that he was raised to life, and that life is also residing in all of our hearts. Amen? Amen. That is such, that is such good news. And then Matthew, what he does is he takes a time out. Because you've got to remember that Matthew, he was not there at the birth scene, right? Matthew is writing this maybe 10, 20, 30 years later, after even when Matthew was a disciple, when he writes about it, they didn't really understand who Jesus was. 
They didn't really understand that he was, the, he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And so when he writes this, Matthew now is looking back at Jesus' birth and writing his own commentary. And in verse 22, he says this. He says, all of this took place. I love that. He's looking back at now, looking at the scandal. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, God really put Mary and Joseph in a tough place. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and let's say these three words together, God with us. Let's say it again. God with us. One more time. God with us. Ah, amen. What does that really mean? What's your, what's your sense that God is really with you? What does it mean? I received a Christmas card from Andy and Steph. A lot of you guys know them as well. And um, on their card, they shared part of a story from a book by David Platt called Radical. And he explains the meaning of God with us by, through just personal testimony. He says, I remember sitting outside a Buddhist temple in Indonesia. Men and women filled the elaborate, colorful temple grounds where they daily performed their religious rituals. Meanwhile, I was engaged in a conversation with a Buddhist leader and a Muslim leader in this particular community. They were discussing how all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. We may have different views about small issues, one of them said, but when it comes down to essential issues, each of our religions is the same. I listened for a while, and they asked me what I thought. I said, it sounds as though you both picture God at the top of the mountain. It seems as if you believe that we are all at the bottom of the mountain, and I can take one route up to the mountain, and you can take another route up to the mountain, and others can take different routes up to the mountain. And in the end, we all end up in the same place with God. They smiled as I spoke. Happily, they replied, exactly, you understand. Then I leaned in and said, now let me ask you a question. What would you think if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain actually came down to where we are? What would you think if I told you that God doesn't wait for people to find their way to him, but instead comes to us? They thought for a moment and then responded, that would be great. That would be great. I replied, let me introduce you to Jesus. That's who he is. You see, it's not us with God. It's not us who have have found a way to get in with the famous one. It's not who of us who have worked our way up so that we could be holy and righteous and worthy with God, but that God, the famous one, has made himself low to be with us. I don't know if you've ever been in, in a company of someone who's, I don't know, just a lot more famous, and you sometimes feel like, oh, wow, I'm in the company of someone famous. I got access somehow. I got backstage stage passes, and you somehow feel amazing that you got access, that you got worthy enough to be chosen, to be hanging around with someone more famous or more powerful, whatever it might be. But what if that famous one and that powerful one, what if that person was actually seeking you out? And it's not because you wanted to be with them, but they wanted to be with you. You see, that's the nature of God. That's who God is. That's why he is worthy. That demonstrates his love and his worth. And I love this because as Matthew, he's looking back on Joseph and Mary, their lives, and he's looking back at this botched engagement. 
And he's saying, I see the will of God being done through the mess. I don't know about you, when I was younger, like in my Christian faith, people told me, hey, God, when God does things, he only does things orderly. He does not do things, do things, does things chaotically. God does things. God is God of order. Well, someone needs to tell Jesus that, right? Someone needs to tell Jesus that because Mary and Joseph are in a mess. And in the next chapter, again, there's, they become refugees. They have to flee to, to Egypt. And there's the local, there's a genocide of babies. I mean, it gets really messy. And so much of that God with us life is like that. There are so many occasions when it feels like you're going backwards, yet God is propelling you forwards. Many times, it's precisely the necessity of God taking you three steps back. It's actually the platform for your character that's the launching pad that thrusts you into a God-given future. See, as Matthew is is looking back and gaining clarity on Jesus' life and Mary and Joseph's life, he's also gaining clarity on his own. And it's meant to be so that we also get clarity on our own lives. What that means is that God is with us and that God has always been with us. There are some of you here where you feel like God may be really distant from you. You haven't heard from God in a long time. Some of you are here because someone dragged you in here. You lost a bet. It's a family thing. I don't know. It's a tradition. We come at Christmas and Easter only, CEO. Christmas and Easter only, your CEOs, right? And, um, but there's, there's something in the back of your head, in the back of your mind, where you've had these experiences where it's like, you know, you know that there have been times that God have met, has met you. You know that there are these particular times where you sense the presence of God. You might feel like it's just now, but you have these moments where, have these moments in the past where you know that God was with you. And what I wanted to let you know this morning, what you need to hear from the scriptures from the birth, is that God has never left you. God never left you. You may have moved on. You may have moved what you understood to be forward. You may have moved in a a different direction. What I want you to know, that God has never left you. That's what his name means. He's always faithful. He's always patient. I don't know why he wants to hang out with you all the time. I don't know why God wants to hang out with me sometimes. I'm like, man, my life is really boring, right? But God, he loves and is constantly, constantly with us. When you're alone, God is with you. God is with you when you are despairing in your worst, worst moments. When life doesn't make sense, that God is with you. When you feel lost, God is with you. When you don't know what to do, well, your next move, the decision to make, God is with you. When you hate your job, God is with you. When you feel like your marriage is hanging by a string, God is with you. God is with your present because he's so concerned also about your future. And God is with us as a church on Beacon Hill. And sometimes it's going to be messy, it's going to be chaotic, but God is with us. And what that means is that what Matthew was saying is that, look, I'm looking back now in the past and seeing that God is with us. What that means, that gives us clarity for our present. It means that we don't have to wait 
for the future to look back on the difficult moment right now and say, oh, yeah, back then God was with us. No, what we do is we can look into the eyes of the present and declare right now that God is with us. Amen? See, if we were in a black church, like everybody would be clapping, people would be jumping up and standing. I mean, I'm just saying, right? I mean, I understand we're an Asian church, you know? I get it. I get it. I get it. But that's what we're supposed to be thinking. We don't have to wait and wonder and, and, and just be confused and it's all abstract. No, we can look at our present moment right now and have this great confidence that all of the themes, that all of the best things about Christmas, that Jesus is of hope and love and joy and faith and generosity and compassion and redemption and future are all right now in the present. Amen? Amen. Woo, okay. All right. That's better. That's better. Last Sunday, um, last Sunday we, uh, thank you guys, celebrated my 46th birthday. Crazy, right? Old, old man. I remember when I first came here, I mean, I was, I was, a, young, I was a young guy, the young hip guy, right? And um, it was funny because Mason, I mean, he's totally serious. Mason, he told me, I think we were at home, and he was like, oh, dad, you're 46 years old. Now you can't play football with me anymore <laughs> because you can't run anymore. I mean, he was like totally serious. I'm like, what? <laughs> we actually, it's funny, we actually have this running bet in our family of like who's the fastest, okay? Because Angel, Angel, she thinks she can outrun me, all right? No way, all right? Mia thinks she can outrun everyone. Mason definitely thinks he can outrun everyone. And, of course, I think I can outrun everyone, too, you know. So we have this school, you know, we're, we're going to get to it. One of these days, really soon, it, it needs to be sooner rather than later because we are getting older. But, you know, we have a school near our house, and there's a track, and so we're going to all go there, and we're going to do, like, a 100-meter dash, right? So I don't know how I got into that. But um, anyway, um, I, what I wanted to say is that I, I so appreciated, you know, when it's, when it's your birthday, right? When it's your birthday, you so appreciate those gifts, don't you? You, you so appreciate the, the well wishes. You so appreciate the cards. Because that's what we do on birthdays. We, we reflect our gratitude for a particular person through, to the one born. We express it through a gift. We express it through kind words. We express it through a hug. We express it through words of appreciation. And I think Jesus today, I think Jesus today, I think about his heart today, and I think about Jesus in this room right now and how his heart is so filled by not just being here, but through our songs, through our worship, through our prayers, through our response in our lives, not even just today, but for so many of you here, 365 days of the year, you're striving, you're following, you're giving that gift every single day. And yet, yet here, here's the thing, is that God just can't get away from being God. Because the way that God is, is he's just such a giver. <laughs> because even in this place today, when like it's Jesus' birthday, Jesus is still giving. He's still offering this gift and wanting you all and all of us to receive this gift of life. This life in its greatest abundance. And so that's where we need to land this morning. For some of you, is that would you consider receiving the gift of Jesus? Would you consider receiving Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life? Maybe you're one of those people, again, it's been like a long time. 
And maybe today's the day. Today's the time. The moment is now, the present. You don't have to look back and you don't, you don't, have, to look, you don't have to wonder whether or not God is here. God is here. He is so here. And this is the moment for you to take this opportunity to say yes and to open your heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the giver of life in all of its eternal abundance. And it doesn't always mean that life gets better. Sometimes for Joseph, like Joseph and Mary, life gets more complicated. But with God with you, with Jesus with you, your Lord with you, your life begins to move in the direction of your best future. And your heart begins to be shaped and formed with your best heart. And the reason why is because you are deeply, deeply now then connected to the God of the universe, the God who created you, the God who loved you, the God who came from heaven and came in the form of a babe in order to save us from our sins and to be with us forever. The God who created you and died for your sins so that you might be free to live out your best future and that future not just for yourself, but for the people next to you, for the people in this world. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. amazing day, God, just to be alive. God, to just breathe in this uh, cold uh, winter Seattle air. To look outside and get a sense of the atmosphere and the season as everything seems to slow down. And it reminds us then to get back to center. That you are the reason for the season that all of life emanates from you and that Christmas time is this day of hope and love and of fellowship and of forgiveness and of compassion and all of these things aren't there to mock us that we could never attain them but all those things there are an invitation a gift to know the one who gives these to know the one who can actually shape and change our hearts so that we might be more loving, we might be more forgiving, we might be more compassionate, we might be more just, we might be people holy and righteous and full of faith and inspiration. God, there's so many ways that uh, this world wants to just trick us into thinking that the gifts that the world wants us to pursue, like fame and ego and power and position, that those are the real gifts, that those are the real powers that makes us the kind of people that we want to be. Thank you for Christmas, for coming in a babe, for this scandal, because we know that deep down in our hearts, if we would be honest about with our lives and with our hearts and our thoughts and the things that we've done, we know that there's a lot of scandal beneath it all beneath all of our power, 
beneath all of our wealth, beneath all of our ego, whatever it might be, we know there's a big scandal there. That there are sins, there are things that we cannot control that eat at us. So we thank you for Jesus who lets us know that it's safe because it's really safe to come to a babe. It's really safe to know that we come to a God who says, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to climb high enough to get to me because I know you can't, but I have come down to be with you because that's my character and that's my love. So I just want to pray for any of you here today who just say, yeah, I know. There have been moments in my life where I know that God has been with me. I know without a doubt that God has been trying to speak to me. He's been so incredibly patient to me. Like he follows me around. And in this moment, I just want to give my life and open my heart to him. Can you just pray this prayer? God, in this moment, I open my heart to you. I open you to my heart to you as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that you would be the one who forgives me and cleanses me of all of my sin. And I enter into a life of abundance with you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for pursuing me, that I might know that, God, that you are with me. And you pursued me all the way to the cross so that I never again have to doubt whether or not you're with me. I never again have to doubt how much you actually love me because you proved it more than 2,000 years ago by dying for my sins on the cross so that there there may be a day like today where I might be connected to the God who loves me and created me. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. And if that's you, and if you prayed that prayer, um, it'd be great if you could just do two things. Number one, there's like a little yellow card in front of you in the pews. If you would just fill that out and leave your name there, contact information, and just say, hey, Pastor Roy, I prayed that prayer today. I'd love to talk with you, and I would love to talk with you. And just drop that off in the offering box. Um, I want to shake hands with you and say Merry Christmas to everyone at the door as you leave. And so you can just tell me that too on your way out. Just say, hey, Pastor Roy, I prayed that prayer this morning. You know, let's go get some coffee. Let's hang out. I want to do that for you too. All right, church, let's all stand together. Let's sing.